Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kelsey Bowler. We have so much to unpack for you today. Some more serious topics and some lighthearted. We're going to discuss whether or not air conditioning is sexist, drama over The Little Mermaid, talk some football, share an interview with The Daily Wire's Alicia Krause, and finally, we'll crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week here on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. Those of you whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or five-star rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. It really does make a difference. Okay, Kelsey, for our first topic, is air conditioning sexist? A recent New York Times article titled, Do Americans Need Air Conditioning? argues how air conditioning is, quote, an engine of the patriarchy and cites a Nature.com study that reveals, quote, how building temperatures, once set to the comfort preferences of 1960s era men in suits, disregard the thermal comfort of female staffers. What do you think? Is air conditioning sexist? Yeah, we can end this segment right here and say yes. Conclusively, (laughs) air conditioning in the workplace is sexist. I have had lots of experiences in offices in summer months where I have literally had to bring a blanket to work because I am so freezing. That said, I think my body temperature, I'm just always cold even when I'm pregnant right now. (laughs) I still snuggle up to a blanket while I watch TV at home. But, you know, as much as I kind of joke around and say the temperatures that we use in offices are often set at temperatures that are more comfortable for men who are wearing suits rather than women who are often, you know, even if you're wearing a blazer on top of a dress in the summer months, often your legs are still exposed and your shoes are just not as warm. And we're obviously not wearing socks with with a dress. I hope none of you are doing that. So it is less comfortable being a woman in the workplace if it's freezing. Um, that said, yeah, this conversation kind of just really bothers me because it's just like Twitter outrage <laughs> over this article and everyone's either taking one of the two extreme positions, either air conditioning is amazing and of course it's not sexist or it is so sexist, yada, yada, yada. I kind of joke that it's sexist. Like, I'm okay. I'm going to survive. And yeah, I mean, obviously moderation is the answer. And if there are women in the workplace who are uncomfortably cold, I think you should speak up (laughs) and ask uh, for temperature to be increased a bit for your comfort level. I have to say the best thing that ever happened to me here at the Daily Signal is getting my own office where I can control my own uh, temperature. The overall point of this article I have to bring up is is to argue that people in countries with lower GDPs are more comfortable with a wider range of temperatures than we here are in the United States. They say that it appears that first world discomfort is a learned behavior. Is, is that something you agree with? Yeah. So I am born and raised in the great state of Florida and air conditioning is just on another level there, you it's so humid, so it's so hot outside, but because of that humidity makes the air conditioning even colder. And it was always really embarrassing when you walk in and out. I'll make it extra Florida. When you walk in and out of Publix and that air conditioning <laughs> just hits you, my glasses would just completely fog up completely. So I have to say, 
it is true. I think about my great great grandfather who grew up in Central Florida with no air conditioning, and I can't imagine just not being able to escape the heat. So as much as sometimes I'm frustrated at work when I'm freezing and, you know, maybe I forgot my jacket, but yeah, it's a first world problem. And I can't believe that we're taking time to discuss this even. I guess we're part of the problem. We are being (laughs) problematic in covering this. One thing I have to point out that despite it seems a lot of the complaints do come from women about offices being too cold. Uh, the New York Times piece cites a study that found the differences between thermal comfort level between the sexes are actually pretty insignificant. So this study, they mentioned more women did participate in it, but it turns out that gender is less of a predictor of thermal comfort than other factors like age, activity level, or tellingly, as the New York Times puts it, the relative wealth of the society surveyed. So, I mean, this is silly because it's kind of arguing against AC, but we know AC has literally saved lives. Like people used to die from overheating. They still do in other countries. So it's absolutely a first world problem to be complaining about it. And this is another scientific difference between men and women. Women have different internal organs than men. Women carry their heat inside their core of their body while men carry the heat closer to their skin. So that's why even why men and women have similar body temperatures, women feel colder because the the heat isn't as well regulated. I mean, I'm literally baking a bun in the oven right now (laughs) and I still get cold and it's like 90 degrees here in Washington, D.C. So I think I have issues. (laughs) Well, that's not the end of the Twitter outrage we have for you this week. Disney announced that an African-American actress and R&B singer, Halle Bailey, no, that's Halle Bailey and not Halle Berry, (laughs) that messed me up for like three days this week, is going to be playing Ariel in Disney's live action remake of the classic cartoon musical. After the announcement, hashtag NotMyAriel trended on Twitter, supposedly a reaction from people who were upset that Disney wasn't going to cast an actress that was white with red hair like the cartoon. So, Kelsey, did you see anyone use this hashtag, not my Ariel, who was upset about the race? I didn't. Certainly no verified conservatives on Twitter with legitimate followings. I know you have some thoughts on this, but it's really frustrating to watch. You know, the Washington Post did this whole feature story on the backlash that Black Ariel was facing. And all of us are sitting here like, who actually had a problem with this? And I thought, you know, I tweeted that I I thought this backlash against Halle Bailey is rich coming from the same people who told us that Scarlett Johansson can't portray a transgender man in a film because she is not transgender. When that happened, a lot of conservatives stuck up for Scarlett Johansson and said it shouldn't matter how she identifies, whether or not she's transgender, because she's an actress. Um And the point of acting is to act like someone who is not yourself. And on that front, you know, conservatives could care less about Ariel's new skin color. And I have to put a disclosure in here that, of course, race and gender are two very different things. But the point is the same, that conservatives don't care what actors and actresses look like or how they identify. All of us just think actors are good at their roles because... They have an ability to play someone who is not themselves. 
Yeah, and this is exactly what conservatives want. There's one or two jerks on Twitter, probably more than one or two, but a very small minority of jerks on Twitter and the voices of people who don't care about race, who want to see the best actresses promoted in these roles and want to see people portraying people of color being portrayed in Hollywood. They drown out these jerks. And so when this comes from the left, it's really disappointing that they're gaslighting people, people who don't listen to problematic women, people who don't even talk to conservatives. They think that all conservatives are racist and care about the race of the Little Mermaid. And this is just really sad. This is going to perpetuate the two sides not being able to come and talk about anything when we're fighting about things as minute as the Little Mermaid. So, Right, because we're sitting here being like, none of us care about this. And where is your evidence that any of you do, but then everybody reading the Washington Post sees there was this backlash against Ariel's new skin color and assumes it came from ignorant conservatives, which it didn't. And so it totally just drives the two sides apart over such a stupid conversation. But one conversation that came out of this that I think has been really great is other actors they'd like to see in The Little Mermaid. (laughs) My two favorite were... Terry Crews, he's the uh, Old Spice Man, also in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He's super buff. Uh, He would play Poseidon, Ariel's father. And then the other one, this is my absolute favorite, probably because I already, I love this guy so much, but Guy Fieri, he's the Food Network star with the white hair that sticks straight up. Spiky. And he, people are trying to draft him to play Ursula, the (laughs) villain in the movie. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do... Are you overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle? Are you looking for a way to keep up with the news that really matters? The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day as co-hosts Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis interview lawmakers, authors, Heritage Foundation experts, and others on the most important policy debates in America today. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. USA! USA! USA. Last weekend, the U.S. women's soccer team made history by winning their second in a row and fourth overall World Cup. However, unlike most championship winning teams, their next stop is not the White House to celebrate their win. Back in June, before the tournament quarterfinals even started, player Megan Rapino said in an interview, I'm not going to the expletive White House, which started a public Twitter fight between the president and the soccer star. President Trump said on Twitter, quote, I am a big fan of the American team and women's soccer, but Megan should, in all caps, win first before she talks. Finish the job. We haven't yet invited Megan or the team, but I am now inviting the team win or lose. Megan should never disrespect our country, the White House or our flag, especially since so much has been done for her and the team. Be proud of the flag that you wear. The USA is doing all caps. Great exclamation point. Things have not cooled off since the team has won the World Cup. Last night, Rapino took to Anderson Cooper to send another message to the president. Interview or will watch this interview. What what is your message to the president? Oh, message to the president. Um, I think that I would say that your message is excluding people. Um, you're excluding me. You're excluding people that look like me. You're excluding people of color. You're excluding you know Americans that um, that maybe support you. Um, I think that. We need to have um, a reckoning with um, the message that you have and what you're saying about 
make America great again. Um, I think that you're harking back to an era that was not great for everyone. It might have been great for a few people, and maybe America is great for a few people right now, but it's not great for enough Americans in this world. And I think that we have a responsibility, each and every one of us. You have an incredible responsibility as you know the chief of this country um, to take care of every single person, and you need to do better for everyone. I don't even know where to start with this interview. It was from Anderson Cooper on CNN last night. Side note, in addition to what you just heard, she also said uh, when asked about kneeling during the national anthem, quote, I had this immense sense of pride. As to the clip we just played, my first question is, how is the president of the United States excluding you in any way? when he literally just invited you to the White House, despite the comments that you have made against him. That doesn't make much sense to me. But this interview got worse. Here's another clip. Yes to AOC. Yes to Nancy Pelosi. Yes to um, the bipartisan Congress. Yes to Chuck Schumer. Yes to anyone else that um, wants to invite us and have a real substantive conversation um, and that believe in the same things that we believe in. So for the record, Rapino wants to have a substantive conversation with anybody who agrees with her. It's typical. I mean, she, why not meet with the president? That's the way you can make actual change. Why meet with people who already are going to vote the way that you want to vote? You just want a photo opportunity. You don't want a real conversation. Right. I mean, look, this is why I think athletes should stick to their sports and politicians should stick to politics. Imagine if President Trump said something like that. Anybody's welcome to come to the White House if they believe in the same things I do. It would be insane. Imagine if the Heritage Foundation uh, ran our strategy by saying, we're happy to talk to anybody who believes in the same things we do. Of course, that's not the strategy. The strategy is to talk to the people who don't agree with you, um, have those tough conversations, debate. Um, it's, I think it's just really telling that she is making this all about herself and is, you know, not even willing to engage in a simple conversation with someone who disagrees with you, despite, you know, the, the issues that she's raising, which the country is very divided on. I guess if there's one lesson from today's problematic women episode, don't take to Twitter with your outrage, have a conversation with a friend. (laughs) Or someone who might disagree with you. But one of the things that the team does want to talk about when they come to Washington is this equal pay. Kelsey, can you expand? Well, this is the problem. She's raising a serious allegation that women soccer players in the United States are being discriminated against based on their gender um, because they are paid less than men. This is a complicated allegation. It involves a lawsuit. First off, we have to separate their complaints about equal pay from the U.S. Women's Soccer Organization and the World Cup. So if the players have complaints against U.S. Women's Soccer, it's important to note that they negotiated a collective bargaining agreement in 2017. So this is something they agreed to. And if they were not happy with the outcome of those negotiations, why did they agree to it? The Council for the U.S. Soccer Federation pointed out that one reason that women's players are not paid the same as men 
in the structure of their compensation is because the women's team negotiated for salary-based pay with a full plate of benefits, while the men's team used bonus-based pay and receives less generous benefits, which doesn't surprise me. I think that speaks to the different choices that men and women make. Women often value security, which is why they might be willing to take a lower um, base salary for that security that they know minimum. This is how much they're going to make this year versus men are tend to, you know, take more risks. And this reflects not a uh, gender wage gap, but the gender choice gap that we often talk about where women make different choices than men. So to learn more about um, the situation with U.S. women's soccer, uh, A.G. Hamilton has an awesome article over at National Review titled about that alleged World Cup pay gap. Um, it's it, it, There's a lot of factors here. It's interesting to read about. And if you, if you want to learn more, I encourage you to go read that. As for the allegation that they're paid less um, in their earnings for the World Cup. So let's break this down. The overall purse for winnings for women in this year's World Cup was about $30 million. Men's for 2022 is expected to be $440 million. So that's $440 million versus $30 million for women. So it's clear that women's teams are paid relative to the men's team based on the revenue each side generates. In fact, women actually got a higher percentage of the overall revenue in 2015 than men got. Um, They got 13% of the pot, uh, while in the previous World Cup, men got 9%. But despite men getting a smaller percentage of that pot, they still made more because their pot is just way bigger because women's soccer globally is not the global phenomenon that men's is. So uh, this complaint obviously is very complicated, far more complicated than Megan Rapino and other soccer players lead you on to believe when they go on CNN. But this is just, I, I think, another example of the myth of the gender wage gap. And no one is forcing them to play soccer. They are getting paid to play a game. I think any professional athlete should just be very grateful that they're being paid anything. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. But to all our good Americans out there, don't worry. We, we don't talk just soccer. College football starts in 44 days. So get excited for that. But we're going to take a quick break. Stay close. We have this really great interview when we're back with Alicia Krause from The Daily Wire. We break down everything from fashion to feminism And most importantly, what it's really like to work with Ben Shapiro. Before we take that break, we want to tell you about a weekly podcast that we love here at Problematic Women called Heritage Explains. This podcast breaks down policy issues that we hear in the news at a 101 level. The hosts will mix in news clips and music to tell you a narrative-based story. Also bring in Heritage's leading experts to break down these often very complicated issues. For example, they'll tell you what's going on in Ukraine or why we need a space force. Or will we actually get those social security benefits that we were promised? These are quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed and are also very entertaining. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Problematic Women. Today we have Alicia Krause with us. 
Uh, Alicia is a Daily Wire contributor. She's a Lady Brains co-host, uh, and she's a mother of three, soon to be four. <laughs> four, that's a real baby in there. <laughs> all, all girls. Yeah, all Coming girls. Coming in July, right? I mean, well, I don't know if she's identified yet, but, but. <laughs> the, the ultrasound showed a girl, so. Biologically. <laughs> so, Alicia, do you identify yourself as a problematic woman, and also, do you identify as a feminist? Huh. Uh, I don't, is it weird that I haven't really thought about the latter that much? I, I like the Carly Fiorina kind of perspective on feminism. I think she calls herself like a, not a fiscal feminist, but she talks about being a, her perspective of being a feminist is like whatever works for that individual woman. So if that is the definition of feminism, sure, I guess I'm a feminist. Uh, and yeah, I definitely think I'm problematic. <laughs> We are having a little bit of discussion about this off air. I think it's fun, though, to be problematic. And I think part of being a problematic woman is not fitting the mold of what people expect you to be. And that can happen in conservative circles, in Christian circles. I was homeschooled all 12 years in those circles. Or, like, in general, I've always lived my adult life and worked in liberal meccas, like New York and L.A. And so I'm problematic in the sense that people meet me and they're like, what is this? Like, who are you? you know, I don't understand you. And that's fun and exciting and unique. So, yeah. Well, we wanted to know what it's like being a conservative woman in California. Yes. Um, and you're Southern kind of, California. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're in L.A. Yep. Full time. Yep. How long have you lived there and what's it like being a conservative? And, and you're absolutely right. You break the mold. And that's what I love about the Lady Brains podcast. It's, it's not just, it's, it's hardly about politics. You yeah. just are real people. And I think people have this idea of what conservative women are, uh -huh. what they like, what they do in their free time. Yeah. And you guys smash that stereotype. Yeah. I mean, I... Um... I'm a bottle blonde. I like nail art and rent the runway and I have home births. Like, so if, if I just told you those things about myself, in addition to the fact that I live in LA, you'd probably think that I was like a liberal yoga mom, you know, which I also am a yoga mom, I guess. <laughs> I do like going to yoga. But, but uh, living in LA is fun and interesting. I mean, once everybody Googles you there, so I really wish in hindsight I maybe had kept my maiden name because it's gotten playdates and birthday parties canceled. And Has it, it really? Oh, yeah. Uh, so there's this element of, I was actually talking to somebody about this earlier, I think in the political war, culture war, if you're going to use the term war, right? There's the on-air talking heads, the, the thought leaders that are so needed and required. But my husband and I like the two-pronged approach of, like, I get to do that in my day job. But there's also the element of um, relationship building. And I think that the culture warriors or the conservatives that are building the movement and espousing their principles just in how they live their day-to-day -day lives and building those relationships with people that are on the other side of the aisle and those people realizing that they like you before they realize what you believe can be so impactful. And so, so that's, frustrating for them. Yeah, it's so frustrating for them when they're like, oh, I really wanted I, to hate you. I like so-and-so's mom. She brings me flowers for playdates. Um, and so there's an element of that's kind of what it's like living in LA is just presenting yourself, being a decent person, being a nice person, trying to be relational and intentional with people, um, and building a community in that way. And then when politics comes up, they don't see you as somebody that's like on late night cable news that's just yelling about it. They see you as somebody that's principled and has integrity that they like on a personal level. Um, 
and I've always spent my adult life in those liberal meccas, and so it's not, it's kind of weird to me now to go back to normal places, like where I'm from in the Bible Belt. <laughs> like, what state yeah. are you originally from? Oklahoma. Okay. So the very southeast corner, I like to say it's the pretty part of the state, uh, not too far from like Texarkana, DFW area. And yeah, you go home and there's like pickup trucks and gun racks and <laughs> real men. <laughs> toxic? Yeah, toxic, toxic masculinity. Totally toxic masculinity. But I, uh, so yeah, I think that there's a balance of understanding, like having your foot in normal America, but it's so important to have your foot, especially for conservatives, I think, in those places where culture is so driven. And LA is a place where culture and fashion and makeup and beauty and entertainment is so driven um like all the youtube stars live there and all the insta stars live there and that's like kind of the wave of the future and i think if we don't jump on that wave we're gonna really miss out so how would we jump on that wave of reaching people on the west coast who, yeah but while not leaving the people in the middle of the country behind yeah i think that there's a reason that the people that are on the west coast have so many followers they aren't followed by just everyone in LA they're followed by all of America because they want to see what they're doing and they want to see and hear their perspective I mean I think that sometimes it's a lose-lose battle when conservatives talk about like we don't care what celebrities think because we always write about how much we don't care but then we're <laughs> also always writing about how much we don't care we do spend yeah. a lot of time doing that <laughs> so um and we do the same thing with child prodigies and stuff too which I think is problematic um and so I think that you can be your individual person be your individual like have your own belief systems and stuff and that when you use the technology that's been given to us now in a clear and smart way like the other side is doing then that's how we potentially be a part of that wave so I think that just just using those platforms like social media, for example, you're going to automatically reach the middle of the country because they're all on their iPhones too, you know? So one of the reasons I love following you on Instagram is because very little of it is about politics. A lot of it is about the rest of your life, your yeah. family, your fashion, <laughs> your beauty. But I do wonder, in raising little girls yeah. in L.A., how do you balance... Um, you know, them not getting too obsessed with yeah. that culture of yeah. beauty and fashion, keeping their values, but also being able to have a little fun with it. Yeah, I think um, we are blessed to have a yard and a pool. We live in a fixer-upper, and my husband's really great and handy. And we have a, a, quite a large yard for L.A., and so I try to bring a little oaky to L.A. in how we've raised them. So they're nine, five and a half, and 23 months. Um, these two girls, and they're all girls, and uh, ours have S names, and I don't give them out because people are weird, and say that I should have post-aborted them, so, uh, but they all have S names, so I kind of took, remember the movie The Help, when she's like, you was kind, you smart, I kind of took that, and my husband and I just started telling the girls every day, and this is what they repeat before they go to school, like, they need to be strong, sweet, and smart, and I think that those are really great elements for any woman to try to implement and espouse in her daily life. And sometimes I have to be, remind myself, I need to be sweet to my husband today. <laughs> but I also, like, when it comes to work or this meeting I have coming up or this debate I have on TV, I need to be strong and smart. And so in addition to that, be, back to the yard, it's like I make them go barefoot. Like, I make them help their daddy haul branches. <laughs> I, um, you know, talk to them how important it is for them to be beautiful on the inside. 
and to be kind to others and to stick up for themselves. Or I think like one of my proudest moments as a mom was when my now five and a half year old, she was like four, and we were in one of those silly like mall play areas that are probably infested with germs. And there was a boy that cut off a little girl that was waiting in line. And she walked over there and was like, that's not fair. Like, you need to give up your spot in line. And I was like, good for you for like sticking up. Because it wasn't, he didn't cut her off. He cut off somebody else. And so it was seeing her stick up for somebody else. And I think it's the beauty of, of children too is they don't, they're so innocent in that they have friends from all different backgrounds, like faith and ethnicity. And they don't see that. They're just friends. Um, and being sure to share with them that, like, those relationships and our faith, obviously. I'm like, I, don't, I feel for people that don't believe in God because sometimes when a five-year-old is asking or a nine-year-old is asking, like, why, it's like, because God. <laughs> all the answers. <laughs> it's like all the answers. That is definitely beneficial and helpful. And I think that that will implement in when there's something that, like, a greater purpose and someone that is higher than you, you know, making those plans for your life or those, those principles that you need to adhere to, beauty and fashion aren't the most important things. So I hope that they, I can instill that in them. I don't know. No, that's great. Sorry for a long-winded answer. <laughs> well, I think it's good, too. They can be a positive impact on their environment. Yeah. So um, a lot of our listeners probably recognize your voice from all that you do at the Daily Wire. <laughs> um, and the Daily Wire, I think, is one of the most successful right-of-center organizations in terms of reaching the youth. So what would you say is your strategy, um, and how would you recommend people uh, reach the youth, either in the middle of the country or in California? I think that Ben has done, and Jeremy, you know, our God King over there, have done such ben a great Shapiro, job. Just Sorry, for ben. those who don't know yeah. the name. <laughs> yeah. My brother from, a, my Jewish brother from another mother. Um, <laughs> Ben, I think, is such a great voice, and David Limbaugh and other friends of the movement have said this too. It's like Ben is the is like our generation's rush, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and David can say that because that's his brother. <laughs> so, but he does such a good job, I think. And I think that this younger generation, like, we're not our parents' Republican Party. Uh, just like I have lots of friends that were Bernie Bros or you know like Elizabeth Warren on the left, and they're not the Clinton Democratic Party, you know, anymore. There's this level of individuality and kind of like going against the grain and trying to get your information from the non-typical resources of just turning on cable news anymore. And I think that Daily Wire has definitely been able to tap into that. And I think obviously Ben is the loudest voice because he's the most popular, but there are numerous voices that are allowed to be um, broadcast like Michael Knowles and Ben are never going to have the same opinion on Trump on the same day. It's just not going to happen. And Andrew Clavin and Matt Walsh are probably not going to have the same opinion on gay marriage. You know, and, and I think that there's a really great aspect that appeals to people all across the country, and especially young people, because they can go to one place and get differing perspectives and then come up with their own opinion. And I think that Daily Wire as a whole just really wants to empower people to just read, inform yourself and then come up with your own opinion. I imagine a lot of our listeners are well familiar with Ben Shapiro and might be wondering what it's like to work with him <laughs> and uh, Daily Wire, God King, lowercase g, yes. Jeremy Boring on a regular basis. I actually had the pleasure of visiting the Daily Wire yeah. office, uh, I believe it was earlier this year, and I, I saw that 
Jeremy's office doubles as a cigar bar. Yes. <laughs> kind of a little bit of toxic masculinity yeah. going on there. I've never invited, like even pre-pregnancy, I'm like, hey, chicks like cigars too. Emily Zanotti, a fellow lady brain, and of course one of our editors of her Daily Wire, she's amazing. She and I are like, okay, after we pop these babies out, we need to have like a women's version of backstage because we also like whiskey and cigars. So yeah. we should do whiskey this. Whiskey and cigars, and maybe it should have all your run th- runway clothes yes, in we the background. Just walk through and recommend things to different people with different yes. color tones or something. Yes. I uh, actually hashtag goals one day would be if Leah Remini, Emily Zanotti, and I could go do nails together. Like that right there <laughs> could be a podcast because I'm obsessed with her and I just want to like. <laughs> bleep talk Scientology with her while getting acrylics. Um, there's a podcast idea. So are you talking about toxic masculinity? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so Ben is, Ben and I did a morning show in LA together for four years. And I think uh, there was a liberal gentleman on the show as well. And so it was often Ben and I ganging up on him. And But I think in that, when you're doing three hours of morning radio every day with each other, there was one point where he was like, oh, I see you more than I see my wife. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, I see you more than I see my husband. Because you're like stuck together in a studio for three hours. Uh, there's a kind of camaraderie and friendship that, that's built from that. So working with Ben, I genuinely feel like I'm like, okay, I got to have his back. Because he's at this level. And I always knew, my husband and I are so happy for his success because he deserves it in so many ways. And has worked hard for it. And is just so freaking smart. And uh, was told no by a lot of people along the way. And I love that he's able to kind of give them the subliminal FU now because <laughs> of his level of success and the old white dudes that told him that he couldn't do it. Yeah. And so I think that that's amazing that the market has spoken and, and he's so talented and great and uh, really good at his job. I've Every writer over there is so loyal to him and loves having him as an editor. All of his producers like love working with him. Um, and it is kind of this tight-knit family. And it's cool. I mean, I hate to rib on the God King, but he's the oldest guy at the company. <laughs> he just turned 40 this year. Calling him out. <laughs> so uh, it, it is a very young-minded, and everybody is so professional and mature and, and works their butts off. Uh, and it really is for the cause, and it is for men because they love him so much. And espousing those conservative principles on a broader scale that we want to get out there is so important to everyone that works there. And believe it or not, we do have liberals and libertarians and people that don't believe what we believe, but they like the environment. And like you said, our office vibe is great. And other than Jeremy, you know, we're all young people. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Jeremy, if you're listening. Well, and I have to ask, does Ben Shapiro talk as fast off Air yes. as he does on air. Oh, yes. Get him talking about baseball stats. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Which we should start. We should start a campaign, like I don't know, change.org petition or something, because he does not do the wave. He says it's a commie principle, and I'm like, no. <laughs> if you're gonna make me go to a baseball game, you have to do the wave. Like you have to do the obnoxious dancing and the number oh, yeah. one fing- foam finger, and you have to do the wave. It's a part of America's pastime. I'll and get behind that. Does he yeah. do the seven inning stretch? No. Sing- no. Oh. What's the point of baseball? Exactly. <laughs> well, he just sits there with his dad and, like, talks the stats. Probably. <laughs> like, I actually would love to take him to Vegas. I feel like because, so 
small world. Mark Levin taught me how to play blackjack, <laughs> and I feel like Mark Levin and Ben Shapiro would be amazing at a blackjack table they because would. they would go up to the edge of counting cards, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just take all the money. So I'm like, let's go to the Bellagio, guys. It could be really fun. I'm going to play with your money, yes. and we'll see who wins. <laughs> yes. So last Ben Shapiro question. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a big figure, um, yeah. and unfortunately, he's faced some pretty serious threats. Yeah. Um, you are a mom, as we talked about before. What steps do you do to ensure their protection, both physically but also online, with all the mm. attention that you get? Well, they're young still, so they don't have access to phones and iPads and those kinds of things. And it's a parenting problem slash question <laughs> that my husband are going to have to deal with in the near future, I think. Um, I think that, so, so they aren't really online. They're also really blissfully unaware of what mommy does. Like, they don't, you know, they know I work with Uncle Ben, and that's it. <laughs> and they know that people come out to see Uncle Ben speak, and sometimes he's on TV. But once they kind of reach that age of knowing, I think between three and four, my husband and I cut the cable cord. We stopped watching news in the house. We don't listen to, like, those types of podcasts around them. We don't even talk about it around them because we want to preserve their innocence in a way. Um, and then as far as public, the state of California, you know, makes it really difficult for me to actually have... A leg up in defending myself because it is near impossible to get a CCW in Los Angeles County. Uh, I've lived in other parts of the country. I've done the fingerprinting and the background checks, and I did it just fine in those states. And but California just apparently doesn't want a woman to be able to protect herself, so that's hard. Uh, but at home, you know, we have a fence, we have the guns, and you talk to your kids about situations. I'm not like a paranoid person, but I have lots of military family, and so. Whenever we're at the park or the movie theater or the playground, like those are viewed as soft targets, right? And so talk to the girls about this is what you do if a bad guy comes. Um, I think it's very important to implement, for instance, private security that say it's very important, especially for adults, to like implement a thought process of where are my exits, where would I duck and hide, like what procedures would I do were, you know, a niece style situation to happen or an 9-11 style situation or a gunman in your church situation. Uh, I'm lucky in that I know at church there's multiple armed <laughs> volunteers standing around and including over the children's church and that's something that my husband and I took into consideration, you know, because I think that religious people, average Americans and especially moms, should be arming themselves to protect yourselves. And thank God, statistically, your chances of having to pull that weapon are super low. But if it does happen, I want to have <clears throat> my best chance of defending myself and my kids on my side. It's sad that we even have to think about taking those precautions, but I think it's important to hear about and think through the mm-hmm. different ways to protect yourself. Um, changing subjects, a little more lighthearted to wrap up our interview. <laughs> Uh, you are a fashionista. Oh, thanks. Big fan of Rent the Runway. Yes. Explain why and tell our listeners what your fashion ideology is. Okay. This is not an ad, but I kind of feel like they should pay me. <laughs> they should at this point. <laughs> um, so it just makes sense. So our hair and makeup and wardrobe stylist at Daily Wire has an account, and I have an account, so I'm always rotating, like, it, well, you have eight slots when you have two unlimited accounts like that. So you get four slots for each unlimited, unlimited. account. And you can add them now for like 39 bucks, but I haven't added a slot. And uh, do you know how much it 
costs per month? I'm grandfathered in, I think, at $159. Uh, it might be like 169 now. And I'd never spent that much on wardrobe before, but it makes total sense. And like, you know this, Kelsey, like when you're on air, like, you can't or don't want to repeat an outfit. Sounds so Kardashian of us. But, um, <laughs> um, LA might be rubbing off a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Like, kids with the same I'm... letter name. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was unintentional. We were just like S names. Um, and so I just, I started using Rent the Runway for, at first for one-off things because you have a black tie event. I wasn't going to go out and spend $500 on a dress that I might only wear once. It made sense to rent it for 80 bucks. Um, and we all have a clutch and a pair of shoes we can grab out of the closet for those things. And my mom, I think, was always really practical. I wouldn't consider myself a fashionista. I just know, like... I think I've learned over the years what looks good on me and my body type and what I like to wear and what people will compliment me when I wear it. And uh, also it's amazing because third pregnancy, now uh, your sizes change so much. (laughs) And I will never go back to my 23-year-old body, unfortunately. And instead of purchasing clothes that you might have to pitch after you have a kid or you can't wear during maternity leave, or even, like, I haven't had to buy... I bought, like, one pair of maternity pants and two dresses this time around at Target, which has great sales in the maternity section, by the way. Um, I can rent those. And I can still be fashionable and comfortable. And also, like, everybody loves that new clothes, like, feeling, like, putting it on and wearing it for the first time. And you get that over and over and over again. So why wouldn't you try it? <laughs> but I get it, like, for budgetary reasons. It doesn't make sense for everyone. It makes sense for me and what I do and where I live. Um... But I would recommend it for the one-off things, like your sister's having a wedding and you need something to order to rehearsal dinner, give it a try. So They should be paying you. My, fa- <laughs> my fashion mentality, I think, that, sorry, that was the second part of your question, I think is just, uh, I want to be, like, classic, I think. Like, I'm not too trendy. Like, I'm not into a whole bunch of fads and stuff. Um, and I want to be, like, classic and comfortable, but still kind of, like, stylish. And I like to bring a little LA edge to some to some things. I think. Well, great. Well, <laughs> I think that's a great place to leave it. Thank you, Alicia, so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. In The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today. Now on to our favorite part of the show. It's time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. This week, our Problematic Woman is Detroit rapper Tiny Jag. Tiny Jag was set to play at a charity music festival in her hometown called Afro Future Fest. According to a Detroit Metro Times article, Afro Future Fest was charging an early bird special of $10 for people of color and $20 for white people. When Tiny Jag, who is biracial, found out about the pricing structure, she publicly dropped out of the festival, citing how her immediate family members would be impacted by the racially targeted pricing. Since Tiny Jag went public with her criticism of the concert, Afro Future Fest has changed their pricing to a flat rate of $20 for everyone. However, people are not happy with Tiny Jag's comments. Another Detroit music festival, 
Kendrick Music and Culture Fest decided to drop her from the lineup, stating in an official statement, quote, we respect her choice to step away from an engagement based on her own beliefs. However, the artist's actions have created negative and dangerous effects on members of our community. This is in direct conflict with the values that Kindred Media and Entertainment were founded on. So, Tiny Jag, you've had some fallout, but you're our problematic woman of the week for standing up for what you believe in and standing up for actually equality. And, you know, these race issues are really hard, but I think one thing to do this is just have a donation for their ticket price. If people are wealthy, no matter their race, they can pay more. If people are poor, they can pay less. We don't have to look at what color is your skin to decide what you should pay. Absolutely. I could not agree more. On that note, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition of Problematic Women. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. It really does make a difference. More importantly, just tell your friends. Have a great week, guys. podcast is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Kelsey Bowler and Lauren Evans, associate producer Samantha Rank, and editors Michael Gooden and Thalia Rampersad. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton. <laughs>